Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Hi, folks. Welcome to yet another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I am Chris Caraggio, and today's edition, the episode is titled Technology for the Sake of Humanity, and we are so happy to have our guest, uh, Mick Ebling, in. Uh, let me get, before we welcome in Mick and start talking and chatting a little bit, I got I to gotta read through his bio. Um, you'll have to indulge me a little bit because it's very impressive. So I just kind of want to get through this so you folks can kind of get a grasp of what Mick is all about. Okay, so he is the founder and CEO of Not Impossible, as well as a career producer and filmmaker. Now, I mentioned today's discussion, it's technology for the sake of humanity. But what we're going to be talking about really is making the inconceivable, the unbelievable, and the impossible not impossible. Okay, Mick is also going to give uh, the Parker B. Francis Distinguished Lecture to open up ACHE's 2020 Congress on Healthcare Leadership, and that Congress is March 23rd through the 26th in Chicago. Okay, not impossible. What that is, it's a multiple award-winning social innovation lab and production company. It's built on the premise that, of course, nothing is impossible. Mick's mantra of, quote, commit, then figure it out allows him to convene a disparate team of hackers, doers, makers, thinkers to create devices that better the world by bringing accessibility for everyone. Now, this unconventional approach brought to life highly acclaimed initiatives like the iRider, Project Daniel, Don's Voice, and most recently, Music Not Impossible. That brought the ability to draw back uh, to a paraplegic street artist, 3D printing arms to a Sudanese amputees, and voice, actual voice, to an ALS patient who had not spoken in 15 years. So pretty impressive stuff there. Now, working with a wide array of Fortune 500 companies, Mick not only pushes the bar on innovation, he also shares the emotionally resonating story of doing just that. These narratives of overcoming seemingly impossible odds have inspired folks across the world to do the very same. Named one of Wired's Agents of Change, a two-time South by Southwest Innovation of the Year award winner, and he's also a recipient of every major creative and advertising award. Mick has sparked a movement of pragmatic, inspirational innovation by harvesting the power of technology and story to change the world. I told you this guy was impressive. And to cap everything off, he is a recipient of the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian of the Year Award. Mick is on a mission to provide technology for the sake of humanity. So we end where we begin with this intro. Mick, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Did I get all that right? I mean, I kind of feel embarrassed. It's like when your crazy aunt gets in front of everybody at the family reunion and starts talking about you. So, well, yes, that is great. Good. Well, you've done so much. You really have. And um, you're, you're inspiring, uh, you know, every single day. And, and you're the perfect guest for this topic. That's why we wanted to have you in. So we appreciate, once again, you, you taking the time out. Okay, so... Uh, having heard that bio, folks, so uh, let, let's start with this, Mick. So you, you obviously you, your belief system is very strong, and that that ma- mantra that I that I quoted. Can you explain that? Commit, then figure it out. Just kind of sure. kind of go through that. Sure. I mean, it, it, the funny thing is that you know, like most great things that happen to people along their the, the course and the path of their life, uh, some of the best things that always happen happen accidentally, and. Not Impossible is is definitely one of those examples that um, I started Not Impossible because 
we accidentally got invited to uh, this gallery event that ended up being a fundraiser for a paralyzed graffiti artist. We met him and or met his family. We're really moved by his story. Fast forward, we created you know a low cost, inexpensive, very accessible uh, ocular recognition device that we open sourced to the world. And that that process of actually deciding to do that, to, to make that, was because I was so moved by his story and so moved by the fact that I was talking to a father and a brother, his father and brother, and hearing the story of, of, of the difficulties of what they had to do to communicate that I, was, I just said, you know what, we gotta, we gotta change this. And, we, and we, I committed to changing it for him and creating something for him. Well, the punchline on that is I had no business doing that. I didn't have a clue what I was doing or any right to make that commitment. But what we now learn and what we kind of base Not Impossible on is one of our primary mantras is that it really doesn't matter whether you have experience or credentials or diplomas or degrees that allow you or permit you to think that you can go do something. What matters is that you see something and you say, that's not right, that's, that's absurd. We call them absurdities. That's absurd, it shouldn't be that way. And then when you do that, you're moved by it so much that you say, that's, I gotta do something about it. And that was what I did on that day when I met his father and brother is that I said, oh, I'm gonna change this. We're gonna get him a device that allows him to talk, that allows him to communicate, that allows him to draw. And doing that was the first time of this commit and then figure it out. Got it. Got it. Well, you explained it. I mean, obviously you commit because you're you're passionate. Uh, you're extremely emotional and passionate towards something. So if like you said, if 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 that emotion um, comes in, then you'll have the smarts, you'll have the creativity to figure it out. So I guess that's exactly it. You hit on it. Um, okay, so, and I mentioned also in your bio about how you've kind of surrounded yourself with a disparate team, and those, that, that team's made up of a, a bunch of different types of people, hackers, doers, makers, thinkers. Why, why do you do that? Why the contrast? Why do you want everybody kind of involved that way? Well, look, I, my background is that I was a producer. I started off as a producer, so I'm used to building teams of experts around a very specific purpose. So, you know, one of the last things I did when I had my production company before I shifted over to doing everything on Impossible full time was, you know, we produced these films, these short films for Marvel. Well, a month before that, we were working on animated films. And before that, we were working on James Bond films. So a James Bond kind of sci-fi main title is different than a short film reality type of, of things set in the desert. So you build teams, and, and I always juxtapose it, who you hire for a science fiction is different from who you hire from a Western or a period piece. So, but you hire the best people for that particular genre, that particular, uh, that, that, that whatever you're trying to solve. So what we do is we assemble these teams of people who are brilliant at what they do or are just brilliant in general and bring a new way of thinking into the party and into the, into the conversation. And then the funny thing is, is I, and I, and it's funny to say it this way, sometimes a level of expertise in a particular thing that we're trying to solve sometimes is more of a liability than it is a, a benefit because sometimes people already have that, that understanding and that, that belief system of what can and can't work and they're not approaching it with a unique perspective and, a, and a, fresh, a fresh eye on what could happen. I see. So you have to really be aware of that, though, to kind of to see that that's going on, right? Because obviously if someone has that expertise, 
things would go smoothly, but it might not be exactly what you're looking for the way they go about it. Yeah, it's just one of we we're very driven here on on battle cries and mantras. And one of the reasons, and I and I write about this in my book, one of the reasons we're able to solve many of the things that we're able to solve is that we adopt this mentality of beautiful, limitless naivete. Mm -hmm. We see things, we see an absurdity, and we say, that's not right, we have to solve it. We don't think that's not right. I wish I could, I wish I had a degree that allowed me to solve it you just say that has to be solved and that naivete, but that passion behind the decision to go change it, that's what drives it. And it's just some, sometimes if people have too much experience and they, if they've got experience, but they've also got drive, then great. That's, that's the winning formula. But if they've got a lot of experience, but, and, and they're kind of rutted out in terms of how they think that that's usually not someone we invite to the party. Wow. Okay. So how do you coach that? Okay. So having said all that, so when you get your team together, okay, and you got the right people in place, um, how do you kind of move them to to and introduce them to these new ideas and to and to ignite uh, creativity to make change and, and so forth? Well, it's driven for us on this belief system that. If I, for example, okay, who's ever listening to the podcast right now? Let's say I say, you know, I'm, we're all in a room and I say, hey, who here wants to help me solve the hunger issue in the United States? Right? You, sure. People, yep. people might, they might put their hand up. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sure. I would do it. But then I would say, okay, great. How do you want to do it? And then, then, then it's, oh, wow. You know, well, uh, you know, it's, it's a big issue, right? It's a massive, massive issue. But if I said, hey, there's a kid who I know who lives around the street from where I live in Venice Beach. There's a little homeless encampment there. I know the family. I know this kid. Who here wants to, to put in a couple bucks and a hat and we're going to go feed Jimmy? Bam! You understand that. Hunger has a name. Hunger has a face. I can tell you the story of Jimmy. So that taking massive issues and boiling it down into one individual is something that we call help one, help many. And that's how we're able to tackle these things is we don't try to boil the ocean all at one time. We try to solve it for one person, really identify what those problems are, what those pain points are, what those friction points are, solve it for that one person, then tell the story of that solution and of that person so that once it's solved, we spread that story far and wide and people have a chance to relate to, oh my gosh, I know a Jimmy, I could probably, I could do something like that. And that grants accessibility and, and permission for, I say permission with air quotes, permission for people to say, wait a second, I can do that too. And then that's how the, the, the cycle starts well, and begins. That, that's a great tip, Mick. That, that really is. I mean, obviously you just put a face to it and then and then nothing's impossible, right? Like you said, that, that there, there it is. All right, so let's shift now to, to, to the world of healthcare. Okay, so top executives, obviously they have to be fiscally responsible. They have to maintain that. But Obviously, they want to inspire change and innovation, obviously, and, uh, but, but they have those budget constraints. So what is your advice for how to initiate uh, sort of a, an innovative thinking strategy but also kind of keeps you, keeps you right on your budget? <laughs> if, I, I know it's tough. It's tough, but how would no, you? No, it's, it's actually, it's not. It's, it's, if I said to you, hey, Chris, I just, I just, it just came across my desk. Someone just came in and I've got two tickets 
to Hawaii, but we got to go jump on a plane in an hour. You got to be, you're in Phoenix right now, right? Yeah. So you got to be, at, you got to be at Sky Harbor in an hour, okay. but, but you got to, you got to go now. And you're like, Oh my God, I've been wanting to go to Hawaii. Would you make that flight? Yes, you'd make yes, that flight. We're five, like, okay, minutes, we're five minutes from Sky Harbor, so I would make the right, flight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and if I said to you, hey, I got these tickets, it leaves in an hour. But if I said, hey, the flight leaves in five hours, would you make the flight? Yes. The answer is yes. yes. You would make both flights. Yes, I would. You would just make, you would just make decisions. Five hours, you'd go home. You'd get your sunglasses, your sunscreen, your swimsuit. The one-hour flight, you'd say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just buy, I'm going to buy sunscreen and sunglasses and a swimsuit when I get to Hawaii. So waste occupies space and when you're given parameters those parameters sometimes are what empowers the actual design process so when we enter into the design process we're not thinking in terms of budget we're thinking in terms of this has to be done and okay there might be a budget parameter around it but constraints are usually beneficial to the design process not a deterrent i have we had a friend of mine was the vice chairman of uh, of GE. Her name is Beth Comstock, and she remarked once we we spent some time together and and working together. And she said, "Listen, it's funny because you guys are doing these things on a scrappy budget." And my when she was at GE, she says, "My team, you know, has they complain when we have ten million dollars for a budget, and it's just they say that that's just not enough to do it." So, it has more to do with the mentality of the leadership team than it does with budget parameters. Now, of course, there's a sense of reality in there in terms of deployment and what it might be, but innovation and especially a disruptive mentality starts, it starts with the permission from the executive team to allow the team to try to experiment and most importantly, to fail. Because that failure is what refines the process to finally get to a point where you can test and fail and test and fail and test and fail. And, and one of the chapters of my book is fail, 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 repeat, succeed is necessary. Fail, 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 succeed, repeat is necessary. Oh. And that that has way more to do about the success of, 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 a, of a disruptive mindset and an innovative team. Now, obviously, though, we, patience, you know, it's a longer game sometimes, right? Than, 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 than a, you know, just turning something around quickly. When, when again, it's hard. I mean, you're talking about healthcare. So, you know, are we going to try a new chemotherapy uh, cocktail on someone and just say, oh, we'll fail, fail, fail? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about more systems. We're talking about the process of how we get there. So, everything has to be taken in context. But there's no reason that healthcare needs to take longer when, if you're not talking about the safety of a patient, if you're talking about systems of innovation, if you're talking about how to drive people to think differently, how to make healthcare better, more fluid, more uh, more conscientious, more human, those aren't things that are putting people at risk. Those are those are actually things that are helping people's quality of care and quality of life. So you have to contextualize kind of, of how you think about this. But I would say that you contextualize it, but it still is applicable to, to both sides of, of how you look at healthcare. Great. Good, good, good. Okay. I mentioned earlier that you're going to be the keynote speaker in uh, this upcoming March at ACHE's Congress on healthcare leadership. About 4,000 healthcare leaders from across the country are going to be there. What do you hope that they take away from your speech? The number one thing is a lot of what we've talked about today is that I am there to, and, and I said it earlier, I used the word permission, and I usually don't use that word. Uh, I'm there to remind people 
not to give them permission, but to remind people that they have the ability to go back and to think and approach whatever challenges they, that they are encountering within their organization and within their system, they have, I'm reminding them to go back and to attack them with a non-impossible mindset. We, we every single day attack things that we have no right, no business to be able to address or solve. And I will be in a room full of ridiculously talented, brilliant, driven, caring people. If I do nothing but just a light of spark within them to go back and to start to think in this not impossible mindset, then mission accomplished. And what are, and I know you've talked about this, but for those people listening right now to the podcast and maybe that won't be at the speech, um, what quickly, and I, again, I know you mentioned these, but if you can kind of break down a couple of quick tips, how to get in that not impossible mindset. How does someone get there if they've never thought about it before? I mean, I think that, well, this sounds, this is not uh, uh, said to be self-serving or a plug, but go listen to our podcast. You can listen to our podcast and it's the story of all these other people. Like we document other people who are doing this and our, and we host the non-impossible awards every year. You can watch videos uh, and films around other people who are using what we call technology for the sake of humanity. So you can go to our website, you can look at the things that we're doing, but we're very, very conscientious about the fact that it's not just about the things that we're doing, it's about what other people are doing. So if someone's not there, Go and 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 look at what other people are doing and know that those people are just like them. They came into, they saw a problem, they said that this is this looks impossible, they attacked it anyway, they were scared along the way, they were vulnerable, they felt like they weren't the right ones to solve this, but they kept going anyway, and lo and behold, at the end, they came up with a solution. So I want, I mean, the people who are attending and people who aren't attending, if they were able to come away with this mentality and just understand like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe I can do it. Maybe, maybe I am a person who could drive this ball forward. There's a, I finished one of my first Ted talks. I finished with a, um, a, a saying that has been said, you know, it's been credited to many people, but if not now, when, and if not me, who? And that is really important for people to understand that the world and life and technology and science and everything is progressing, right? Every, every single day we're progressing. The question is, what role are you going to play in that progress? Are you going to lean into it? Are you going to push it forward? Are you going to try to play an active role in trying to contribute to that so future generations can benefit? Or are you just going to sit back and let it happen and then you, every now and then you're going to just stick your foot, in the, you stick your toe in the pool and you know, benefit from it, but then come back and hop out. You, you gotta jump in head first. You know, nothing venture, nothing gain. You got it, you have to jump in head first and know that your role, even if you fail, that is the crazy thing. Even if you fail, you're still contributing to progress because now you've, you've, you've demonstrated what can't work, which gives other people the ability to say, okay, well, let's not try that. Let's try this, let's try this. And so that, that's really what I would love for people to come away with is that, that understanding that every single person on this planet is qualified to make the impossible not impossible. That's great. That's great, man. And obviously just hearing your passion um, I think uh, hopefully will inspire some folks to have the take on that mindset because it's really not difficult, but it's just the fear of maybe failing. They don't want really to want to attempt something because they don't want to fail. But like you just said, sometimes the fail is successful because it eliminates the process of elimination. It's helping in that regard. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that's Absolutely. wonderful. Now, again, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of winding down here, but and you kind of talked about this, but since the this episode is titled Technology for the Sake of Humanity, which aligns perfectly with the mission of most healthcare organizations, you know, kind of just summarize, if you will, what we've talked about the last 20 minutes or so, how we can all work together for the sake of humanity, whether it be, you know, within a, a small community or globally. I mean, I really, it goes back to our core belief of help one, help many, right? That if there's going to be 4,000, right? Here's, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to flip the question, right? It's a pop quiz. Okay. There's going to be 4,000 people in that room. If 4,000 people go out and they heed that help one, help many call to action the next day, how many people are going to be helped? Yeah. Well, it's going to be 8,000 at least. There you go. Right. <laughs> so, so it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Go, go out and help one person. Now here's what's going to happen. That one person's going to be helped and, and someone's going to go, wait a second. That wasn't that hard. I think I'm going to do that again. And they do it again. And one turns to two, two to four, four to eight. And, and that's, that is, it has to start simple and grow. It's not about boiling the ocean right out of the gates. It's about starting simple and letting it grow from there. And that's, that's really what I would love to see happen out of this talk. I'd love to see people listening to this podcast. Just, just try it. Just try it out. Go out and just help one person and watch what happens. Watch what it does for you. Watch what it does for them. And watch kind of how it changes that little world that then has the ability to expand into a much bigger world. Mick Ebling, you know, it's obviously you, you've won all these awards. You're speaking at the, at the Congress next year for a reason. Anybody listening to this podcast knows what that reason is now, just hearing you, Mick. You, you, were, you were wonderful. Thank you so much. And I do want to say one thing because I know we're in Phoenix. You sort of grew up here. You went to Brophy Prep, right? Played, played, exactly. played, yeah. some, played some basketball, I know, and went on to yeah. play collegiately. Um, but I'm, it's kind of ironic because I played at Shadow Mountain. Now, I know I'm a little older than you. But um, every time we played Brophy, um, it was impossible to beat you guys. <laughs> you had Mark Allery, you had Jim Renforth, you had John Reagan. It was impossible. So I can't follow <laughs> your mantra when looking back at my high school career. <laughs> classic, classic. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mick. I-, I know you're an inspiration to everyone listening. Good luck uh, on everything and uh, great luck. Maybe we'll see you in March in Chicago at at the Congress. Great. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Mick Ebling. Thank you so much, Mick. Please subscribe to the Healthcare Executive Podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I'm your host, Chris Caraggio. We'll see you next time. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.